0: Hey guys, we are here, day five of our Romans reading plan. We're reading through Romans 3, 1 through 20. And once again, we have our teaching pastor, Nick, with us. Nick, I'm so happy you're here. Man, I'm happy to be here too, Robert. Hey, you know, at the beginning of each session, we learn about who's uh, whomever is is leading or, mm-hmm. or reading uh, the scripture. Uh, you introduce your family. What's your favorite thing to do with your family? Give us something. Just Okay, so one of my favorite things to do with my family, we did it over, um, I guess, fall break last year, we went and got lost on purpose in Nashville. And uh, we were staying in the hotel over the night and my kids love staying in the hotel. But I was like, you know what, guys, we're just going to drive around. I'm not going to use the maps. I'm not going to use, we're just going to drive around and see what we can find. And We ended up finding this cool playground that's like tucked away in this neighborhood, and we went for a walk around it, and my kids loved it because they felt like they were on an adventure. And um, and so I guess I love finding new adventures with my family because especially even through my wife's eyes and my kids' eyes, it's like seeing it in a different way. So finding an adventure and diving in and walking in it, I'm all about, especially with those uh, humans that I get to call my family. It's fun. I know you're about some coffee. Did your adventure take you to some hidden gem in Nashville of this brilliant coffee spot? Well, it didn't take me to a hidden gem, probably one that I frequented often. Um, but typically, an adventure always involves coffee um, in some form or fashion. And so, even when I get to go to different cities for you know many different reasons. Um, I always want to find the local coffee spot and uh, because I feel like that's a good way to get a vibe and kind of a feeling of the city by seeing, OK, let me see your local coffee spot because coffee does. It draws all kinds of people in. And so I like finding unique coffee spots even when I get out of town. And so I we definitely went and got some coffee and it was great. Well, I like when you bring me coffee. I'm glad Mm. you're here. You didn't bring coffee. I didn't. I'm sorry. That's okay. I have some. Well, that's good. But you did bring your Bible. I did. I'm ready. And we're going to read Romans 3. Let's go. Give it to us. All right. Romans 3, we're going to begin in verse 1. And so I'm going to read the first verse, and then I'm going to go back a little bit just so you have kind of some context. I know you heard Pastor Ben talk about um, the tail end of Romans chapter 2. So I'm going to remind you of a few things. So this question that's asked in first verse makes a little bit more sense. So it says this in verse one. So what advantage does the Jew have or what is the benefit of circumcision? And it's referring to the verses a few verses prior to it when it says, on the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. And so then in chapter three, it brings up the question. So what advantage does the Jew have or what is the benefit? Of circumcision, verse number two, considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the very words of God. What then? If some were unfaithful with their unfaithfulness, nullify God's faithfulness. And it says, absolutely not. Let God be true, even though everyone is a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. And so what I love what Paul is saying is, and listen, even when we're unfaithful, even when we don't act in the righteousness that has been sealed through the completed work of Jesus, it doesn't nullify, it doesn't void God's righteousness, because even though we are a people who have been changed by the gospel, There is still a temptation for every one of us, our flesh, that means our inward worldly desires, sometimes we give way to them, but it doesn't nullify the completed work and it doesn't nullify the fact that God is still faithful. And verse number four, I love it, absolutely not. Paul will say things like this in the strongest way possible. He's going no way, no how. Will what we do in our actions ever nullify the righteousness and the goodness of God. And, And here's what he's really saying our righteousness and our faithfulness was never based on us. It was always based on him. And so we can't ruin or get rid of something that he has already done and completed. And so even when we choose to act in the flesh, even though we have been invited and his very spirit has been put in us, it doesn't nullify the work that God has done. And I think for me, just to be really honest with you, this is something that I have to be reminded of often because there are many times when I fail or fall short, I wonder in my head, in my heart, and I sometimes don't say it out loud, does God really love me? And is God really still for me, even though I know what I know, but yet I still chose to live less than. And God always reminds me, Nick, here, I want you to hear this and I want you to hear it again and again and again, is that your you being saved never was based on your good works or your good deeds. It was always based on my complete work that I fulfilled through the, you know, through the crucifixion of the cross and the resurrection of the grave. Everyone, if we can get that, I'm telling you, it frees us up to live differently because God is not this God up in heaven with a lightning bolt. His name is not Zeus, okay? He is a God that loves you. He is a God that has offered grace to you, and he does not (laughs) come looking for his grace and take it back away from you based on your in inability to walk out the gospel in the way that you have been called to walk it out. So I hope that that can free you up today to know that you covered and he loves you no matter what you do. Now, you don't need to use that as a license to continue to sin, but you should use that as really a key to break your shackles, to walk in freedom, to know that God loves you even in the midst of your unrighteousness and your sinful desires, but I want to take a little time because that is something I struggle with myself. Verse number five, but if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? Am I using a human argument? Is, is God's unrighteous to inflict wrath? Absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? Okay, so but let's keep going. But if my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I also still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim, we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come. Their condemnation is deserved. Okay. What Paul is saying is some people have this mindset that, you know what? If God's grace is seen really even better in my unrighteousness in the fact that I'm undeserving of his grace and his mercy, then let me continue to sin in great ways to show how good God is. Some people have this mindset that the more I sin, the more that grace will appear and the more that grace will be seen. That is not true. We do not use the grace of God for a license to continue to sin and to continue to to walk in bondage and slavery. That's asinine and that's ridiculous. Why? Why would we as a free people run back to slavery? It's something that we all wanted to be broken free and rescued from. You wouldn't run back to it and put the shackles on. That just doesn't make any sense. You don't run back to slavery and say, look, I've been emancipated again. I've been emancipated again. No, you walk in that freedom and you continue to embrace that freedom. And you tell others who are still in slavery to let's walk in freedom together and let's walk in this freedom that has been offered to us through the keys of righteousness and justification. And so I kind of have this thought in my head. I think about when the slaves were emancipated, you know, their slavery defined this country for a long, long time. But when these slaves were emancipated, they embraced their freedom. They didn't run back to slavery and hope to be emancipated again. That did, that wouldn't have made any sense. And you would go, why would you embrace slavery? You wouldn't embrace slavery more just to know that your emancipation was really real, no. As you embrace freedom, people see that freedom is really engaging and freedom is something that they want and that they need. And so you wouldn't run back to slavery to prove that freedom is better. You walk in your freedom to show that freedom is truly better. I sometimes get a little passionate about that because I know my tendency is like, well, I've seen before, God is just going to show how good he is. Yeah, but I think the goodness of God is truly revealed in the way that we walk and embrace the freedom that he has given us. Verse number nine. What then? Are we better off? Not at all. For we have already charged the both Jews and Gentiles. All are under sin as it is written. There is no righteous. No, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers venoms under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known there is no fear of God before their eyes. Here is the equalizer, because there may have been Jewish people around going, look, I've kept the law. I've done all the things I've checked off my checklist. So I have earned my righteousness and I have earned my grace. And what Paul is saying here is no, 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 no. No one is righteous, not even one, not even if you kept the majority of the laws, not even if your life reflected a life of holiness. No, because we all have fallen short. We all have sinned. We all have gone our own way. And so this grace that Jesus offers is as amazing to everyone, to the rule keeper, to the one who breaks all the rules, because at the end of the day, we have all fallen short. And so this grace was never based on your good works or your good deeds. It's always, always, always based on the Lord and what he has done. And so all have fallen short. All are in need of this Savior and this grace that Jesus offers. I love what Paul does here. He'll talk later about being all things to all people. But what he is saying right now, and and you've heard probably pastors say this, at the foot of the cross is level ground. What does that mean? Is that we are all in need of a savior and we are all in need of grace. Our good deeds and the things we think will earn our way are not enough to pay the price for our sin. But because of what Jesus did, he made it, he equalized everything. And at the foot of the cross, it's all even ground. And so that's so encouraging to me because I'm like, you know what? We are all in need of grace. And so if we're all in need of grace, we should be a people that offer it because we recognize that everyone's in need of it. Let's keep going. We're almost done. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may become subject to God's judgment for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Tony Evans in his study Bible puts this in a great way to understand and I think it's a great way to close. See, think of the law as a mirror. You look into the law, this mirror of the law, and you see where you've fallen short. You have seen that your hair is messy. If you have hair, I'm not blessed with hair anymore, but some of y'all do. You see that your hair is messy. For some of you, you see that, man, you were sleeping really hard, and you have some remnants of the sleep and the drool from the previous night's sleep on your face. You just look maybe flustered, whatever. The law as the mirror reveals where you have fallen short. And some people's temptation is to take that law and to try to take the law to fix themselves. But you don't take the mirror off the wall to comb your hair. You don't do that. That would be silly, right? Why? Because the mirror can't fix your problem. It can only reveal your problem. And so with the law, with these rules and regulations, it shows us that we are unable to fulfill this law. That's why we're in need of a savior. And what did Jesus do? He met us in the midst of our mess. Paid the price, fixed us up, set our feet on solid ground, and has freed us to walk in a new way. And so even though the law has its place, Jesus fulfilled it because we couldn't. And because of what he has done, he has made us right with his heavenly father. And I'm just telling you, so put the mirror down to comb your hair. It is not going to fix you. But Jesus, the savior of the world, is the one who fixes, who changes, who makes you new. And you walk in that. So I hope that's encouraging to you. I hope that you will allow the mirror to do what the mirror was intended to do, to show you maybe some blind spots, some things you didn't see, but you remember that the grace of the king is the thing that changes you and makes you new. Go and be blessed. Love you guys.